We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet. Peace be upon him. So, Rumi Fihi Mafihi, we are at the bottom of page 8 of the, the, the actual pages, and then of the PDF 9 and parentheses 36 of 287. Yeah. All right, you're going to start reading. Sure. So man must strip. Man must strip secondary motives from his power of discerning and look to religion for assistance. For it is religion that is capable of discovering whence comes aid. Okay, so let's try to translate this into simpler, simpler language or more into our language. So, <coughs> man must strip secondary motives from his power of discerning and look to deen for assistance. For it is deen that is capable of discovering where aid comes from. So, in... Some of the previous lessons or uh, discussions we had, for example, the Barvana, who who was failing even though he dedicated himself to Islam, but he kept relying upon his own acumen and his own strategy and his own machinations. Okay, and and prior to that we had the the Kufar of the Quraysh. Uh, and including, uh, before he becomes a very important Muslim, uh, the uncle of the Prophet, peace be upon him, Al-Abbas, who was saying that I thought it was luck and skill that was making you dominate us, and then I realized your power has come from some other place. And so what happens is that when we are looking at skill and strategy, it becomes very easy to forget that Allah Ta'ala is in control of things. So we have the, the very famous ayah that sometimes almost becomes a, a sticker that people keep in their houses that if you, and this is in Surah At-Talaq, I think, that if you have taqwa of Allah, he will bring out for you a place away from where you weren't expecting. Yeah. And so the point being that if you don't have iman as central in your strategy, then you're missing a big you're gonna you're missing a big important aspect of your work, especially if you're doing the work of Dean. That doesn't mean you negate strategy, because uh, the Prophet had strategy in many many of the battles and such, and it doesn't mean that you that you uh, thus go in head first. No, but you are making du'a to Allah. Your reliance is entirely on Allah, and then based on the options you have available to you, you make the best choices you can. And in principle, I think we all understand this. It's that when you put it into practice, it's very, very easy to forget. So even apply to someone who is trying to go to med school, that they should even have the attitude that, okay, my success and failure or my success is going to come from Allah Ta'ala. I still have to do all the steps that I can. But it is also on Allah Ta'ala that the, my application, the right words hit the page that will hit the right uh, admissions officer. See what I'm saying? And that is a, a, a realm beyond anything strategy can give you. Okay, continue. If, however, a man spends his life with the undiscerning, his own discernment will grow weak, and he will be unable to recognize the power of religion. Okay, so this is continuing the same point, but it's, uh, it's actually an interesting lesson on how life works. Your ability to even rely upon Iman is going to get weaker. And you are going to become more skeptical of what Dean can offer. And this is the interesting thing that you see when you look at people who are super full of Dean when they're in their 20s. 
it actually starts going down. They might still pray, but the optimism that they have from Dean starts to go down. Um, and part of the problem is that they've never, they didn't truly make Dean or better than that, Allah's Qudra uh, at the center of everything. The more you can make Allah Ta'ala's Qudra at the center of everything, it's actually easier to navigate life because you're not becoming fatalist, but you are taking this approach that, uh, okay, yeah, Allah Ta'ala can make anything happen here. You know. Okay, continue. You cultivate this physical existence in which there is no discernment. Okay, I think that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, continue. Discernment is merely one of its attributes. Don't you see that a madman has phys physicality but no discernment? Discernment is that subtle concept that is inside you, but night and day you are occupied with nourishing that physical being indiscriminately. You labor under the false pretext that the subtle concept subsists through the physical being when it is actually the other way around. Okay, so look at this. So now we're making discernment something synonymous with Iman being your flashlight. And so one way to think about this is, okay, you have someone, and this even goes back to, you know, the discussions we were having about the sheikh that everyone is going after now that, that the recording is on, um, where I can, I am 100% sure that this sheikh follows his teacher in large part because of how serious the teacher is in fulfilling his obligations to Allah. And I'm talking about not just fajr at the at the masjid, but staying there for for ishraq, you know, um, and not just isha, but also doing the hajjud. And so, so that becomes your your measurement. So on the one hand, you have someone who is a master strategist. On the other hand, you have someone who is super strong in fulfilling their ibadah. The ideal is to have both. But you're especially looking at the person's ibada. Why? Because that gives you clarity of thinking. Okay. And then it says, discernment is that subtle concept uh, that is inside you. So iman is like this, this subtle uh, uh, technique that you have to get a sense of what do you buy and what do you not buy. And so here, this language is probably more this translator, because this translator officially is not a Muslim, but he translates Middle Eastern languages. He's calling it a subtle concept, but it is this, this subtle, in our language, again, flashlight inside of you. Um, but when you're caught up in nourishing your physical being, which includes focusing on your physical health, a lot of people then do it at the cost of the nourishing the condition of your heart. Okay, continue. How is it that you expend all your energies caring for the physical and to totally neglect the subtle, when it is a physical that subsists through the subtle and not the other way around? So a way to see this, this is easier to describe by its fruits. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing, when, you, when you're in the company of big scholars, and they might be decades older than you are, yet sometimes it's impossible to keep up with them. They are so full of what we would call energy going from place to place, doing this and this and this and this, that, you know, the assistants who are all younger get exhausted. They literally can't keep up. And the point is that in one way, yeah, your body is nourished by food, but the primary way your body is nourished is actually through Iman. And most people don't truly appreciate that. It's your Iman that nourishes your body at least as much as, if not more than food itself does more than exercise does. 
but all those sheikhs will also be conscious of what they eat from an iman lens. And they'll be consciously doing physical exercise through an iman lens in the sense that, okay, this is something that Allah Ta'ala has given me that I have to take care of. Okay, continue. That light escapes through the apertures of the eyes and ears and so forth. If you do not have these apertures, it would escape through others. It is as though you were to bring a lamp outside in order to see the sun. Even if you were to bring no lamp, the sun would still show itself. What do you need a lamp for? Okay, this is interesting because from from the realm of physical space and physical matter, light is going from, from the sun into my eyes, right? But here, through the lens of Iman, light is going from, from within you out. And then illuminating what needs to be illuminated. So it is as though you were to bring a lamp outside um, um, in order to bring the sun if you do not have these apertures. So again, what are we saying? This is the flashlight. Iman becomes a flashlight through which you look at the world. Okay, continue. One must not despair of God, for hope is the first step on the road to salvation. Even if you do not travel the road, at least keep the road open. Okay, this is a point that I often have to make with students, especially if they have bad relationships with someone. Let's say, especially if they have a bad relationship with their father or something. So, in our tradition, despair of Allah is not an option. Despair of Allah is kufr. And thus, the name Iblis, why is he called Iblis? Balasayuballisu, is he has despaired of Allah. He has separated himself because of despair. And so, if all you can do is to just leave a road open, saying, I don't have hope, but I'm going to leave the road open that I can possibly have hope, that is a type of hope. And if that's all you can do, then that's what you should do. And so what are we especially talking about? We're talking about success in, in your relationship with Allah. Okay, continue. Do not say that you have gone astray. Take the straight way and there will be no crookedness. Okay, so do not say you've gone astray is the same thing as saying don't, don't despair. Like, don't say I've lost my way, it's too late for me. Mm-hmm. So, right? That they say our hearts are all wrapped up. And then what happens? What's the eye after that? Ah, caught on the spot. <laughs> yes. And what is that? Bal no la'nahumullah. So Allah is putting la'nat curses on those people for their kufr, the kufrihim. And so so the point being that um, if you say that type of language, it's a double problem. Number one, the attitude in itself is worthy of getting cursed. And number two, just the saying of it is 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 dangerous to, to your iman. So take the straight way. And so what is that saying? All right, get up and start moving forward in the straight way. And inshallah, there will be no crookedness. Okay, continue. Straightness is the quality of Moses' staff. The kings are in the staves of the sorcerers. When straightness comes, comes it devours all the others. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about that line? Straightness is the quality of Moses' staff, and the kings are the staves of the sorcerers. So the magic wands of the sorcerers are crooked. And so the same basic point. Both take the way of, of, of straight way of Dean, mm-hmm. but even this manifests 
in terms of how people conduct themselves and how they create things. But straightness will devour everything else in the same way that Musa Islam, his staff, will devour um, the snakes. So was his staff literally uh, a straight stick? Probably mostly, but probably, you know, the way we'd imagine a branch. But its purpose was straight. See what I'm saying? And the purpose and the method of the sorcerer um, is crooked. Because they're going in the realm of darkness and such. Okay, continue. If you have done evil, you have done it to yourself. <coughs> continue. How could the evil how could the evil you have done ever reach him? Okay, so if you've done evil, you have done it to yourself. This is a very, very fundamental lesson. So when you do wrong to someone else, you are the primary victim. Because do the math. If I do something wrong to you, okay, let's say I steal something from you, okay, and I never pay you back and I never get caught. Okay, in dunya, from a dunya perspective, you're the one who lost. Okay, but what else has happened to me from a dunya perspective? I've developed a taste for stealing, which means I've made it easier for me to steal again, okay, which is a loss right there. And then what else is happening in Akhira? I'm giving you, I'm paying you back. So I am losing. So now I've had a loss in dunya based just upon the influence of the action upon myself. And in akhira, I've had a loss. So if I steal from you in dunya, I've actually literally done you a favor. And so if I steal from you in dunya, I've actually hurt myself. So if you do evil, you're actually doing it against yourself. In the form of it, someone else might be suffering. But in terms of the greater reality, you've actually improved their, their lot. Continue. When a bird perches on a mountain top and then flies away, what has the mountain gained or lost? When you straighten yourself out, nothing else remains. Do not abandon hope. Okay. So how could the evil you have done ever reach him when a bird perches on a mountain top and then flies away? What has the mountain gained or lost? So here we can read it a couple of ways. Number one, you're the mountain. Good. And the bird is is the wrongdoing. Okay. Or we read this as you're the bird. Yeah. And the mountain is the mountain. And so the point is, if we're taking you as the mountain, then you know, then the effect of falsehood is that it's almost it, when the moment you become one of truth, then falsehood becomes like foam. Like, you know, think of how insignificant a bird is compared to a mountain. Okay. If, however, we're looking at the bird as you, as you, then what are we saying? That you're resting on this mountain, which in theory is where you're doing wrong, but it's not going to affect the mountain. Mm -hmm. And you have to get yourself out of here to put yourself in a place of upright behavior. So when you straighten yourself out, everything else just becomes foam. Okay. And thus, once again... Do not abandon hope. So you might have gone crooked, mm -hmm. but start with keeping the road open, then walking on the road, walking on the straight road, and it's not, inshallah, all the other stuff is going to fall away. Okay, continue. The danger in associating with kings is not that you may lose your life, for in the end you must lose it sooner or later. The danger lies in the fact that when these kings and their carnal souls gain strength, they become dragons. 
and the person who converses with them claims their friendship or accepts wealth from them must in the end speak as they would have him speak and accept their evil opinions in order to preserve himself. Mm -hmm. So this is the thing about human nature that manifests, especially in kings. So imagine you have uh, unlimited, super fast Wi-Fi. Okay. And then, and you have free time. And think of all the websites that you're going to. Okay. Now imagine each of those websites is actually one of your servants. So this website is at this moment one of my servants. I'm I'm talking to it by scrolling. Mm -hmm. This other website's my servant. This other website's my servant. And then I'm just closing a website when I'm done with it, or I'm just leaving it to the side. That is literally the power of a king with human beings. And so because the strength of a king is unchecked, like a dictator, unlike in theory a president, then what happens is that as the king feeds his own appetite, his nafs, his nafs al-amara bisu gets stronger and stronger, and then they become the equivalent of dragons. They become monsters. And so if you are in the realm of such a monster, then you're not going to have a choice. It's not a matter of life or death, because they're not going to try to kill you. They're going to force you to submit. Because that's what you see in our current head of state. Someone disagrees with that person, they get fired right away. Um, and think about the people who are sticking around, agreeing and agreeing and agreeing. And so that's a problem. Okay, continue. He is unable to speak in opposition to them. Therein lies the danger, for his religion suffers. The further you go in the direction of kings, the more the other direction, which is the principal one, becomes strange to you. Okay, here's another really, really important point. So, the king here is two things. One is the physical king, mm -hmm. but that issue is going to be mostly irrelevant, I mean, in the 1200s. I mean, it could be somewhat relevant for people who are living in a democracy. Be careful about getting close to power. So, what is the real king? The king is your own nafs. And so what we're saying is that your nafs, if you make that your malik, it's going to start compelling you, feed me, feed me. Okay. And then it's going to, and you're going to succumb to it, to the point it will affect your opinions in deen. So we spoke about iman a moment ago. Iman gives you clarity of thought. But as you're giving into your nafs, it's going to cloud your thinking. And eventually, it's going to invert your thinking. So a way to think about this is that, uh, you know, let's say this is a common problem in summer vacation or in general on vacation. You have a person who normally is getting up at, let's say, 5 a.m. Mm -hmm. and then doing work. They might even make fudger and such. And then they go to sleep at a reasonable time if they can, but they have to get up the next morning because they have class. Mm -hmm. They might stay up late, but they have to get, get up the next morning because they have class. Okay. But then you get to winter break, spring break, summer break, and what happens? They don't have to get up. And so their nafs is saying, okay, sleep for another hour. You got nothing going on. And then because you're sleeping for another hour, you're going to sleep an hour or two later. Okay. And then instead of waking up at five, you're waking up at seven, and then you're waking up at nine, and then you're waking up at noon. And because your nafs is still saying, sleep another hour. And so you start going to bed at fudger time, mm -hmm. and you start waking up in mid-afternoon. Mm -hmm. okay. Now apply that to diet, where eat more, eat more. And then what's gonna start happening 
is that in that case, uh, it's going to push you not only to increase quantity, but it's going to push you closer and closer to the boundaries of what is halal. And eventually it's going to push you into haram. And then you're going to start finding the, the proper food for you to be repulsive. So the person who's going to sleep at, you know, let's say 5 a.m. and waking up at 2 p.m., if that person tries to tries to wake up uh, or tries to go to sleep early and wake up early, their body is going to reject it. Okay. <laughs> that sounds think, very dramatic. Yeah. And so this is this is literally what happens with a person, is that as you're listening to your nafs, your nafs is pushing its boundaries or your boundaries of what's okay, and then it's eventually getting to the haram, which means eventually it's going to start rejecting the halal. So it's turning you literally upside down okay Okay, the further you go in that direction this direction which should be beloved to you turns its face away from you the more you accommodate yourself to worldly people the more the proper object of love grows estranged from you whosoever remembereth Rendereth. rendereth aid to the unjust is subjugated to them by God when you have fully inclined toward the one to whom you are inclining he will be made master over you okay so, so we understand how um, the more you go in the direction of something, the more that becomes appealing for you. Mm-hmm. And so a point you probably heard from me is that the more time you spend with someone, you're automatically going to start developing feelings for them. So a point that it makes my daughter who's going to school on the East Coast regarding gender interaction is that if you spend time with someone, you're going to develop feelings for them, right? And because biology is stronger than rationality. And so what is taking place is that the more you are spending time listening to your nafs, making it become your master, you know, mm-hmm. the more you're going to find that what the nafs is seeking to be delicious. Okay. So another example of this is that, all right, if you start eating flaming Hot Cheetos or mm-hmm. if you start eating Cheetos, you're going to like that more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Even though it might make you feel physically miserable, you're going to have it more and more. And just like you see with college students, they all know how they feel after a night of binge drinking. Mm-hmm. It's miserable, mm-hmm. right? They're hungover, they're puking on the mm-hmm. toilet. Yet the very next night, same thing. Mm-hmm. And then the very next night, same thing. And try to give that same person some delicious orange juice and they're going to spit it out. Try to give them an apple, they're going to spit it out. Mm-hmm. And so what is the real king? It's You have to be careful about what is your malik? Is your malik your heart inclined to Allah? Or is it your appetite? Okay, continue. It is a pity to reach the sea and be satisfied with only a cup full of water. So that's one of my favorite lines of any single book. Mm. What does this mean? Try to explain it. Mm. So it's unfortunate when you have like all these opportunities yes. and you choose like the smallest, uh-huh. least, yes. or the worst of them. Yeah, so, so imagine traveling great distance mm-hmm. just to get to the water. Mm-hmm. And then you're satisfied with just a little bit. Mm-hmm. This is uh, what people are in terms of Iman. So imagine the ocean is your opportunity in terms of Iman. Mm-hmm. And people are satisfied with just a handful. Mm-hmm. Okay, or just a cupful. And... And, and so he'll talk more about all the wonders that come with Iman. Okay, continue. When pearls and hundreds of thousands of beneficial things can be extracted from the sea, what is the use of taking water? 
What pride does a rational man have in doing such a thing? This world is but foam, while the ocean full of water is a knowledge of the saints. Wherein lies the pearl? This world is foam, full of floatsam and jetsam. However, from the churning of the waves and the accord between the churning of the sea and the quaking of the waves, that foam takes on a beauty. For the love and eager desire of wives and children and sums heaped up of gold and silver and excellent horses and cattle and land is made beautiful for men. This is the provision of the present life. Okay. So, so imagine uh, we have greater reality. And greater reality, which, is, uh, which has foam at the edges. So if you think of a painting of an ocean, you have the foam at the edge of the wave. And that adds some beauty to it, right? Especially when it's going round and round like waves, like someone's surfing or something. And then a non-discerning person, a person who's not driven by Iman, will be satisfied with that, with the foam. When he's saying here, look at everything that the ocean contains. You're, you're not even happy, you're not even you know, satisfied with the surface, you're satisfied. Flotsam and jetsam is like this figure of speech, but all these just floaty things that are irrelevant. And that's how people are with dunya. It's they're literally happy with these little irrelevant things mm -hmm. that are going to get washed away, you know, very soon. Whereas the knowledge of the saints is this level of intimacy with how dunya truly operates. And, and so uh, that's what's available for you. And the saints, that's what they're seeking. The awliya of Allah, that's what they're seeking. To get into the depths of the ocean. Okay. And all the wonderful things. But everyone else is happy with, with the foam. And that's the equivalent of what we find in this ayah. Desire of wives, desire the vain desire of wives, the vain desire of children, the vain desire of gold and silver and horses and cattle. That's all great. Mm -hmm. It's been made beautiful. Mm -hmm. okay, but that's the foam of the world. Continue. Now, since God said that it is made beautiful, it is not really beautiful. Its beauty is, vicar is vicarious, of another place. It is a gilded counterfeit coin. That is to say, this world, which is foam, is counterfeit, without worth, without value. We have gilded it, for it is made beautiful. Okay. So, yeah. So, all those things. We're not talking about women, children, gold, silver, horses, cattle being beautiful. Um, like, if you see footage of a horse running, mm -hmm. especially in slow motion, it is something that's absolutely beautiful, mm -hmm. right? If you're looking at your own child, your child is, is absolutely this stunning, a different type of beauty mm -hmm. in dunya. What we're talking about is the joy that you get from the vanity that is constructed, that is bogus and worthless. Okay. So obviously we're not saying women are, are worthless here. We're also not saying horses are worthless here either. Yeah. So, so the point is that yeah. it's the vanity mm -hmm. that is literally foam. Okay. And uh, maybe let's stop right here. Okay, sounds good. Because you're saying we need to stop early, inshallah. Yes. Sure. All right, so make a mental note or something that we are on page 12, at the top of page 12, okay. a.k.a. 39 of 287. Okay. And then, so next time, inshallah, we'll finish discourse number two. Inshallah. Alright, subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nasafirika natubi ilayk wa akhir da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen